Hello, this is Richard Bolas, and welcome to the Dad Mindset Show, where we explore the terrifying yet thrilling and often hilarious adventure called being a dad. Now, this is purely the case of scratching my own itch. I've got three young kids, and I feel like I'm winging it at the best of times. So, I'm drafting in friends and experts to up my dad game, and I want to invite you along for the ride. In this episode, I speak with Tim Hawkin. Tim is a writer best known for the dark fantasy trilogy Hellbound. He's won the Australian Horror Writers Association Flash Fiction Story of the Year Award. In this show, Tim describes how his wife was diagnosed with brain cancer, along with how they work through that. He goes into the tips and tactics of dealing with a class full of eight-year-olds and his go-to rituals and routines to help with bringing up his boys. I especially like the three questions he asks at dinner each night. I find Tim an all-round inspiration, and I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I do. Great to hear from you, Tim. It's great to have you on the show and, and catch up with you. It's been, what, ages? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's been probably three years since we actually worked together, maybe a little bit longer, um, and maybe a good 12 months before until we've, we've caught up in person, so it's good to catch up. How's it all been going? It's been great. It's been a, a really good year this year. Um, I mean, you, you would know, but people who, who are listening wouldn't know. My uh, my wife had been suffering from brain cancer. Um, she's had a brain tumour and so has been through some a couple of rounds of surgery and chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And that all finished up midway through last year. Um, and this year has just been... A revelation because she's healthy. Um, we're back to a regular routine. I'm back to working and writing and um, doing what I love doing as well, um, instead of just caring for her and the kids 24/7. And uh, so it's been pretty amazing to get back into, I guess, what you would call a normal life. Even though I don't necessarily lead a normal ish life <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe it in general just to sort of paint the picture um so i work as a freelance writer um my weeks vary fairly significantly from week to week but um normally what i would do is i have a handful of clients i do copywriting for and so that may be websites or um, packaging or any, basically anything to do with trying to sell product. Um, I also do blog posts and journalism articles and also write uh, novels as well. So I had a book come out this year and have been promoting that um, throughout most of the year, which has been going quite well. Um, but, I mean, those people out there who, who are writers and novelists would know that that doesn't exactly pay the bills on a regular basis so the copywriting thing is um is the main living in um which is really cool because it sends me around the world and i've been able to recently go on surf trips with some of my favorite surfers of all time and get paid to do that um been to hong kong to all sorts of places um 
and and getting paid to sort of travel and write is a bit of a dream so it's all working great yeah and and when i mean to cut back to the really important bit that you mentioned at the start of the show when did you actually get the great news about tara um so she finished treatment was a little over 12 months ago and so she's had a six-month scan and then she's just had a second six-month scan and so i guess we got the good news the first round early this year and then we got the good news again um mid-september so that was about two weeks ago now um and it, it feels great she's she's i mean she's running 10ks every day she's healthier than i am <laughs> so it's uh it's pretty pretty crazy um how the body can bounce back from fairly traumatic experiences like that and um and the mind as well, how, how neoplastic it is. Like she basically had to learn to speak again and all sorts of stuff. And she's, I mean, you, you know, Tara, she's a very eloquent, um, well thought out lady, very motivated. So that was a struggle just getting back to being able to communicate properly again. Yeah. And, um, and being able to communicate with the kids on a significant level as well is a is a really key thing. Yeah, it was. It, but oh, sorry, she's she's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say it was one of the biggest things you had to toss up before going into surgery, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, um, we we looked at a bunch of different surgeons. Um, there's surgeons over here where we're based in Western Australia. Some in um, Melbourne as well. And we ended up going with the, the crew in Melbourne because it was the best mix of safety versus long longevity. Um, with the crew in Melbourne, it was a wake brain surgery. So they were talking to her the entire time as they were cutting little slices of, of tumour out of her head. And any time she showed some kind of speech deficit, they would stop, ask her some questions and make sure that they weren't going too far into healthy tissue. So it was a pretty wild operation. Um, and, but, but it, it was super successful. They, they managed to get something like 80% of the tumor out, which they were only expecting about 50. Um, and her speech, it's not perfect, but it's, it's really, really good. So, uh, we certainly have a lot to be thankful for. Oh, absolutely. It must've been so intense. I mean, you know, to actually be holding a conversation in that situation. Yeah, it, it it was, um, and you know, even even now, from time to time, she'll she'll stop. She'll not. She won't be able to find a word, particularly if it's a word that you wouldn't use in everyday conversation. Um, and so she'll have to ask me quite a lot for the right word, um, which can get frustrating at times too. But I mean, you just have to stop and be patient. You, you just think about what she's been through, and you're like, oh yeah, I, I forget words from all the time trying to find the right word so of course if she's having a little bit more of trouble with it you have to be patient yeah no. and then just making sure that that the kids uh, um understand what's going on and they're patient with her as well because if she's reading a book that it can be hard and they're like mum that's this is the word or that's the word and she's like okay no worries um so it's trying to balance that as well because kids don't really get treading around things softly they yeah. just tell you straight out yeah. you know what do you mean you can't read that <laughs> so um you know and when it's coming from a five-year-old it's particularly hard to take for a 37 year old adult yeah um but you know she's she does really well 
<laughs> yeah, and, and to paint the picture, I mean, how old are Mason and Kai? Yeah, so Mason is five and Kai has just turned three. Um, Tara, she was initially diagnosed with cancer uh, almost 10 years ago now. I think it, it, it was maybe nine years ago or 10 years ago um, very recently and we decided we, we weren't sure if we were we – were, we were kind of told we weren't allowed to have children or we wouldn't be able to have children. Um, and she did so well in her first round of, of operations and whatnot and her health was doing so well that one of the oncologists sort of said, look, if you're going to do it, do it tomorrow. Wow. Um, yeah. So we, we did. <laughs> um, and, you know, Mason came along eight months and – 28 days later. Um, <laughs> was it one of those cases? You guys just then, need to stand next to each other to get pregnant sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just looked sideways at her and you know, all of a sudden she's pregnant. Um, and, then, and then we decided to have the second one, Kai. Um, and it was just after Kai was born. She went in for a routine checkup and we, we found out that the tumour was growing again. So it, that was a pretty big thing to take just straight after. Oh, yeah having a beautiful little boy um, and kind of wondering if I was going to be a single dad one day um, soon or, you know, sooner or later. Um, and you know what it's like having a new kid. You, if you've got two children under the age of three, life's hard enough, let alone throwing in chemotherapy yeah. and radiotherapy and brain surgery and things like that. So it has been a pretty stressful last few years, but like I say, it feels like we're out of the woods now. She's doing really well. Her prognosis is is great, and um, you know, he's he's to you know touch wood that I I won't be a single dad for a very long time, if ever. Oh yeah, I I can't imagine what it was like, but I mean, just the whole sort of the the amount of stuff that you guys have had to contend with over those years, all at the same time. Yeah, it's it is a lot um, on your plate, but at the end of the day, you you make do. You ask for help, which is a really key thing. Um, the community around you tend to lift in times of crisis as well. You find out not only who you, your true friends are, but you find out how strong your community is as well, and you just get on with it. Yeah, it's. You can't you can't do anything else, and if if you if you fall down, then everything falls down around you, and it's so much harder to get back up. So you've just got to keep going. Yeah, and it's not. I'm not going to pretend it's easy, but you you just do it, and because you have to. It was um it was a pretty amazing turn, because um, you actually sort of, well you sort of changed career to sort of manage that whole situation, didn't you? And then didn't have to. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I had a, a bit of a freak out that um, as a writer, it's not the most stable career in the world. Um, and so last year, I went back and studied teaching because I was like, okay, if this treatment doesn't turn out the right way, then I need a career that's a bit more stable for my kids. I need to be able to do something that means that I can be on school holidays with them when the time comes that on weekends be able to pick them up after school. And so school teaching was something that my, my dad's a school teacher. 
um, Tara's mother's a school teacher, and I, I really like kids. They're, they're good value. So I went back and studied primary school teaching for 12 months. And did Because I already have a degree, I did a graduate diploma um, and got that. And then this year, with, with every intent to do a little bit of teaching in between the copywriting, but have been so busy with writing that I haven't even had a chance to do up a teaching resume yet. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I mean, if I never, if I never teach, that's, that's, um, that's a positive thing because it means that I'm doing what I really want to do, which is writing. Um, I think teaching would be very fulfilling, but even if I don't ever use that qualification, having that background and learning about how kids learn, um, and learning ways to help. Um, I don't want to say control behavior because that sounds like <laughs> manipulating them, but just, um, you know, just little tactics on being able to rein them in without threatening physical violence or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything ridiculous like that. <laughs> um, so super handy. And, and being in a primary school for a couple of stints of, of four to eight weeks or 10 weeks at a time, um, dealing with 20 to 25 eight-year-olds, um, it really shows you how Shopping. amazing teachers are. <laughs> Sharpens the tools. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you, it really does. Um, and so I kind of look back on that and go, all right, well, if I, if I don't use that qualification on a professional sense, I'm going to use it nearly every day as a parent. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good good couple of you know there's a lot of tools in the toolbox that i'm really grateful to have <laughs> there's a couple of things i want to add to that and that when when you actually said that that was what you were going to do yeah you're going to have to become a teacher we all said in our group of friends we're like man i wish i had two as a teacher when i was a kid like everyone <laughs> thought you'd be the the epicest teacher in the world by the way <laughs> oh, thank you. and um, um i'm not I'm not sure the kids in the classroom <laughs> are that way, but um, oh, no. you know, I, I had a good time. The um, so, but the other point was, what was it? What was like a key takeaway from you know managing a, a group of that many eight-year-olds? Um, I think just being fair is a really key one. Setting ground rules, um, not even necessarily rules, but just having letting them know what the expectations are and talking to them about why those expectations are in place and making sure that they feel like it's fair and that you're all in it together um, and they've got ownership of of what happens um, the importance of routine is is really key as soon as routine goes out the window and I mean I'm sure you would know and, and any parent listening would know as soon as that routine gets thrown out, it can be a nightmare. So having really nice routines um, and then probably just the power of, um, of following through with what you say you're going to do. So if you say to somebody, please don't do that or this will happen, you have to follow that. Yeah, you know, no, no, no empty threats. Um, no empty threats. Um, and... And then talking to them about it after and saying, okay, do you know why, why that happened? Um, do you think that that's fair? Why do you think it's fair? Why don't you think it's fair? Um, because they're all learning and, and they need to, to understand what's going on and feel like everyone's playing by the right rules or the same set of rules probably is the better way to put it. Um, and if you, as soon as you 
you give an empty threat or you let somebody off because they're normally a good kid or whatever the case may be, or let um, a kid who generally plays up give him extra praise for something that's kind of run of the mill, it's or, or her, um, it, it really affects everyone else. So you've got to, I mean, horses for courses because every kid is different and you've got to cater to them too, but it's a, it's a tightrope that you have to walk and make sure that everyone is being treated fairly but everyone's being catered to on an individual basis as well and that carries across to to your own kids um you can't say one thing to to the older one and the younger one doesn't it doesn't apply it's got to apply to everyone yeah totally i mean and, and you mentioned your dad used to be a teacher as well like i mean just to give a bit of context what what did he used to teach what sort of grade um, so he's done a bit of everything. He's he taught um, primary school. He was a music teacher in primary school. Um, he's also taught high school, uh, and now he's teaching university as well. Right. So um, he's he's kind of done the the full suite. Um, he's doing a PhD at the moment on um, it's called activity activity theory, which is is essentially that kids who learn or kids particularly teenagers and probably particularly teenage boys learn more through doing things uh, and so he like for example he developed a high school course a vce course in victoria that he won an award for uh, around surfing and so there was like science english mathematics all of that stuff but it was all based around surfing in the surfing industry um and then he'd tied in vocational placements and things like that so what what age what age group would have uh, would that have been at so you say i mean that was that was the last the two final years of high school yeah so we're talking probably 16 to 17 year olds maybe 18 year olds yeah um uh, so you know really they're they're mini adults yeah um and I think we all know that when you're actually engaged in something and you're excited about it, you're much more likely to dig in than something that is only a, a passing interest or dead boring. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, that's the whole thing I think about activity theory is just trying to find a way to make it relevant and engaging and exciting for people to to learn new things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, you had a very strong sort of grounding in surfing as well, didn't you? I did. I grew up um, in a, a few different coastal towns um, and was really into competitive surfing from a fairly young age. Um, and you were, you were on the pro surfer, circuit at one stage, weren't you? Yeah, I wouldn't oh, – so there's different levels of that. I, I was um, Victorian or state under-19 school champion. Um, I then went into the professional junior circuit um, – and then from there, normally you kind of go to the WQS. I decided to go to university instead and study um, a double degree in arts and commerce. And so I was getting, and I was in uni, I was getting paid a small wage from a couple of surf companies. So that sort of helped pay my way through uni a little bit. Um, and I didn't have to pay for clothes or any of, or any, you know, any of those. Probably, sort of, in fact, arguably, the best job you could have had at university. 
<laughs> I know. One of, you know, one of, one of the funniest things is I was sponsored by a uh, a bar, so I didn't have to pay for alcohol either. Are you kidding? Which was, I don't know if that was like I don't know if that was a good thing. <laughs> It was a great thing (laughs) (laughs) from one perspective. (laughs) Well, probably about 15 perspectives. Yeah, probably wasn't that great for me. I had a a really good few years um, at university and came out the other end. You you made it out the other end. (laughs) Absolutely. That that is awesome. (laughs) So, because obviously, and you were talking about like how much you got into surfing. Uh, but I mean, it, it's, it's sort of been, been like a, a dream ride in many respects. Cause it's, it's, uh, one of your, one of your first main jobs at a university was in the surfing industry as well, wasn't it? It was, um, I, I jumped straight from university to into assistant team manager with Quicksilver and so basically that was just looking after their pro surfers. Um, at the time, I knew most of those guys and girls anyway. Um, and then a few months in, I, I ended up switching jobs back to my one of my long-term sponsors, Billabong, and was in, worked in sales for them. And I, because I'd done a, a commerce degree, I wanted to kind of work in sales and marketing and pursued that path for five, six, seven years, ended up um, running – Billabong's Indonesian operations based out of Bali for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and it was it was about that time that, that Tara was first diagnosed with cancer and we decided to to throw that all in. We were working kind of 70 to 80 hours a week, not really seeing each other, even though we were living in paradise. And um, we decided to, yeah, just chuck in the towel, buy a van and go traveling through Europe for a while and and then we ended up settling back in WA and I've been working kind of freelance juggling between writing and and marketing and sales consulting um for for a few years and and since then since we've had kids and everything into full-time writing yeah gotcha and um the 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 writing's been um amazing as well hasn't it I mean um when did you actually launch uh, Hellband yeah, so Hellbound was the, my the first book that I had come out. Um, it came out in 2010, um, which was literally, I think, two or three months before Tara was diagnosed. Um, and so it was this really weird year. It was kind of like I'd, I'd hit this major life goal of having a book published and then, and then that happened. Um, so it was yeah, a really strange year. Um, the book was received well. Um, it had a bit of interest from Hollywood and a few other corners and uh, eventually wrote two other books as part of a trilogy for that. Um, and we, we were in fairly serious discussions with Netflix for a while to try and make a series out of it, but that ended up falling over. Um, and then recently released the fourth book this year, which was a big departure from those, that they're more dark fantasy novels set, set in hell. And this one's like a coastal love story with um, I think the girl falls um, in love with a guy and it turns out she has cancer. So a little bit of drawn on personal experience to that. So really, really different books. Um, but I think I'll probably end up going back to the the, the fantasy stuff for, for my next couple. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was really great to read your recent book um, and just to see it, it wasn't like you just had one, one genre that you could nail. 
it was such a good sort of yeah. oh wow tim's got game in every aspect you know uh, i remember reading reading at night time just um uh, it was at one stage i think you'd you just made me laugh and then you made me cry about like um i don't know a couple of hours later i was like fuck you tim i can't believe you've made me laugh and cry <laughs> in the same chapter this is ridiculous <laughs> no it was really good oh, it was really good. that's a good compliment no, thank you <laughs> no i had to i had to put it out there as well i i, I jumped straight on the reviews i was like ah oh, curses i don't know another book that's done that so you know hats off to you tim <laughs> It was, it was really, it was a really great book. It, it had me, had me from the uh, the get go, as did the others. I but um, it. yeah, good work. And yeah, I mean, have you got much more in the pipeline? Uh, I do. I've always got stuff in the pipeline. Um, I've just finished a, a, a screenplay for a, a movie. I've just finished a pilot script for a TV show, series. Um, I'm planning out another fantasy novel at the moment. Um, so just kind of loading the gun with a whole bunch of bullets and just firing him out there into space, um, (laughs) (laughs) trying to get things made and, um, make things work. So, um, it's really just, just trying to make sure that you're improving and, you know, it's like anything, the more you write, the more you do anything, the better you get, you sharpen your tools. And so I've just got to try and create more work and, go back and analyze what's good about it what's not so great about it and um and improve as we go but yeah plenty plenty of um projects in the pipeline but i don't know what the next thing that will actually be published yeah release into the wild yeah exactly (laughs) no i remember over over here in a conversation um i can't remember where we were but someone asked you so how do you actually get the time to write a book and your comment was, and correct me if I'm wrong, oh, you just stop watching TV and you've got all this time on yeah. your hands. And I just love the discipline that you sort of had to, to get all this stuff done. I mean, how do you tie that in with being a dad as well? Because, you know, yeah, arguably one of the best dads I know and, and you're still managing to get all this stuff done. It's, it's really inspirational. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's funny. I like I made a joke the other day. I said, thanks to the internet, I'm no longer wa- wasting all my time watching TV. Um, cause I'm, I'm wasting all my time online now. Um, but it's, it's research, Tim. It's research. It is research, 100%. And it's like Netflix. Netflix is research now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's but, almost like saying it's tax but, deductible. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but. But um, and so is, so is my Audible s- subscription. Thankfully, oh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, no, I think it's um, I, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. Um, and just really try and be quite thoughtful with my time and make sure every thing that I do counts. So, um, in terms of getting creative work done, I think probably the biggest thing is just setting aside two hours of every weekday to write creatively or or plan no matter what um so that's the first two hours of every day which is generally my most productive time as well um so that helps being able to to get up the word counts then i have the routine that straight after that i'll go into basically seven to eight hours of copywriting depending on what i have for the day um, and that's a bit of routine. And then, uh, um, depending, I might try and fit a surf in there 
depending on the day of the week, I might pick up uh, Mason from school and go to the skate park with him and make sure that I'm fitting in time with him and the little guy, Kai. Um, and then at night time, making sure I spend time with my wife because that's really important too, obviously. Relationships are super key. And if you're going to be a good parent, you have to be a good partner as well and have that really firm bedrock where you can trust each other and rely on each other and know that you're both making the right calls and sort of download. And then if we're, if we're going to watch TV, then it's, it's a purposeful thing. We'll watch a series and we'll watch it together as part of our social time as well. Um, so I don't know, I guess it's just trying not to do anything that is, um, is time wasting. It's all, it's generally planned out. Um, and if it's spur of the moment, which is always great to do, then it's something that's really worthwhile. Uh, you have to learn to say no to a lot of stuff. Yeah, I like it. Um, and I've deleted, um, you know, I ha- at one point I had Snapchat and Words with Friends and Facebook and, <laughs> you know, all these apps on my phone. And I've deleted everything except for Twitter and Instagram now. Um, so because they're, they're kind of my two bigger platforms on social media from a um from a following point of view for my work um i kind of keep up with those a little bit but i just found i was spending too much time playing words with friends against people and you know those sorts of things which have it's kind of fun but it doesn't really like i think at when i'm 80 years old i'm not gonna go oh god i wish i had played more words with friends (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know so that's that's the measure um it's right, right up like, there, okay. right up there with. I wish I'd spent more time in the office. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So it's like just prioritizing that stuff that you know is important: family time, um, and and doing meaningful work. Um, and then I guess another thing too is just really finding the podcasts and finding Audible was a really great way to consume books um, and information because I spend quite a bit of time in the car living in Western Australia, you're always driving somewhere. So that's my, my entertainment and information reading time is, is in the car. I barely read a, um, a hard book these days. It's nearly always I'm, I'm listening to something when I'm doing the washing or doing the dishes or vacuuming or driving or something that I can do that's reasonably mindless and still be able to safely do what i'm doing but also take in some knowledge at the same time yeah i i totally agree uh, audible has been probably the best invention that's happened for me personally in the last uh, you know five six years it's absolutely phenomenal i don't know i don't know was it you that got me onto audible it might have been i think um yeah we, we definitely chatted about because we were talking about the martian and that was that that was like a gateway book for me that really sort of cracked it such a, yeah such a great book yeah um, in fact, I think it was the first one I ever listened to. So maybe it was you that, that put me on Audible. So thank oh, you. Because no that's definitely <laughs> one thing that's like massively changed my life. Um, and um, I just, it, it, you can't, it's like we say, it's really hard to fit in things. Um, and so really just trying to figure out ways to leverage every little bit of time during the day to do something that's meaningful. Um it's, it takes a lot of practice and I have 
task management software that I open up every single morning and I've got my top three tasks for the day and I'm not allowed to do anything until I've ticked off those three tasks. Um, and so just having that, those routines and those systems in place to be able to check yourself all the time because it's really easy to slide out of um, just doing non-meaningful work like emails or busy work that feels like you're, you're doing something but you kind of not really. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, is it Asana that you still use? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically the way I use it um, is, and for those who, who don't know what Asana is, it's essentially just like this little kind of calendar task management thing and you create tasks. You can put deadlines to them. You can put details in them. You can share them with other team members or other businesses if you need to. Um, and I structure mine in a way where, at the very top, I've got three goals for the month that sit there. And so they're my overarching goals of what I want to achieve for the month. And then I have my daily tasks. So whenever every morning, I, when I kind of turn on the laptop, I'll do my two hours of creative writing because I know that that's what I need to do. And then I'll look at my tasks and I'll just triage what is going to be the highest leverage thing that day to, to achieve those three goals that I have. Um, and the, the top three things will get pulled up into, into the, um, the queue and then I'll just work through to tick off those three things. Sometimes it might only, only one might get done. Sometimes I'll get all three done in a couple of hours and then three more get pulled up. Um, so it just depends on the size, size of the task and how long it takes. Um, but trying to also break those up into digestible tasks that can get done in a day so you feel like you're winning as well because yeah. it feels really good to be able to tick stuff off <laughs> and so you build that but you build that momentum and you're like you know i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a chapter done today and i'm or i'm going to get this small project done today and it um you get that sense of accomplishment at the end of the day if you've ticked off all the things that you're going to do and it motivates you to do the same again the next day um it's it's a, a really good feeling yeah absolutely the, um, the, the thing I, I like about it is um, I, I find that I have to almost set a, a mildly easy task as the first thing, and then it's almost like the, the, the gimme, and then I'm into it. And so then yeah. I've got the super yeah. important like three or four after that. Yeah, you, got, you get that win. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really important to get a win, win under your belt. Um, it's kind of like writing a short story and getting that published before you you're ready to tackle a book or whatever it might be it's like go for those wins that you know you can feel good about and then that sets you up for the bigger things that you're scared you're going to fail at and you might fail at but you've got to give it a go yeah i was um actually uh, i know that we spoke on the phone um previously about skating and, and ali got into skating at the weekend and um, so oh, she just picked up her older sister's um, pads and she put them all on and her helmet on and she borrowed the neighbor's skateboard because uh, we've got, we live in a court, there's probably 15 kids milling, like just cycling, skating, playing basketball, everything. And she was just zipping down the street on this skateboard. And I was really mindful that she, it would be really good for her to get a good win, you know, the first couple of experiences. Yeah. And so probably the last yeah 24 hours 36 hours she's gone again and again and she's practiced three sessions individually and she's just constantly going down the neighbor's driveway 
and really just going straight line and really loving it and shouting out to everyone, hey, look, everyone. But she's getting that really solid, you know, <laughs> feedback of this is ace and I haven't just fallen off with my first attempt. And I, and she's starting to really dig in and practice more and more. And, and I think it is because she had that really good experience first off. And um, and now she's sort of, um, obviously, you can't have that the whole time. But I think you get that for the first few times, the, those early wins. And, and I think you can really take to something a lot better that way, rather than, ah, oh, this is really hard. The first time you sort of get onto something and then, oh, I'll leave it for six months before I try it again. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think getting those early wins is really key. Um, and it, it sets you up for resilience later on when things do get hard and you do need to try the same thing five, 50, 500 times <laughs> and you're going to fall off and you're going to hurt yourself. Um, and you just know that when you do do that, you're going to get that good feeling again. Yeah. Um, I mean, even going to the, the beach, I went to the beach and took my boy surfing um, yesterday and particularly the, the little one, the three-year-old, the only thing that I want him to do is have fun. It's like uh, if he starts to get a little bit scared, I'll just go, yeah, no worries, let's go make some sand capsules. Yeah. If he starts to get cold, I go wrap him in a towel. It's not about pushing him to catch the biggest wave or stand up or do whatever it is it's about it's honestly yeah, not having a bad experience it's about having a good time and like i know so many of my friends who just love surfing and threw their kids in the deep end and they've all sort of said to me don't do what i did <laughs> don't don't just throw them in and think they're gonna have a hell time you really have to like almost coddle them and just make sure they're having so much fun because at some point they're going to get slapped down by a wave but they have to have that mountain of fun built up so that when they get slapped down, it doesn't just make everything crumble away. You've got this really nice foundation there. Um, and so far, it's working. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, time, time will tell. But, you know, with the five-year-old with skateboarding, he had a pretty big fall last week um, trying to drop in off this this big thing at the skate park and – he got back up and asked me if he could watch it on the phone because I'd filmed it. And straight away he was like, oh, see, my front leg wasn't, wasn't strong enough, Dad. I'll make that. Oh, that's and so good. If that had to happen, yeah, if that had to happen 12, 12 months ago, it would have taken me a week to get him back to the skate park. Yeah. So it's just really making sure that you have that, that great sense of experience so when things do get tough, you, you know that that's an anomaly and it's a learning experience. And always teaching the kids that things don't come easy, good things don't come easy. And if you fall off, it means that you're learning. You don't learn and get better if you're always on your board because, or you know, you're always winning. You, you learn so much more from losing or falling off or making mistakes than you ever do from just winning, 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 succeeding, succeeding, succeeding. Um, and that's one thing I really try and just say to the kids all the time. It's like great effort. I can see that you learned something there. Um, that was really great. I'm proud of you for giving it a go. And I can see you trying really hard and just kind of trying like the whole Carol Dweck kind of. Yeah. The language um, growth, you're using. Yeah. Um, and that's just super key because resilience just it feels like 
that's one thing that's lacking majorly from a lot of kids these days um, and frankly a lot of adults is just, <laughs> is just having that resilience when things don't go your way to be able to pick yourself up and keep going. And I feel like so much of success is just being able to get up, analyse your mistakes, figure out a way to do it better next time and keep going without beating yourself up too much. And the surfing one's a great analogy because it does happen so much. It's probably one of the the most talked about sports when people are talking about kids because I think generally the, the people who surf um, are so passionate about it and they know it's so much fun that they are desperate to get their kids to enjoy it too. Um, mm. But, you know, you, you have that really bad experience and, and you stuff it up for six, 12 months. Who was your friend that you were mentioning that um, just could not get his, his son to, to entertain even getting in the water? Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of, a couple of friends. One was uh, uh, one of my best friends who was one of the best, best men at my wedding. And he, when, he, when his son was quite young, I think, I guess he must have been four or five years old, he threw him in the cold water in Victoria, which is, is cold. <laughs> Dodging it's, icebergs. You know, like, it's 11 degrees <laughs> or Celsius or something like that. It's really cold. Um, and that just spooked the kid oh. for like, two or three years he just didn't want to go in the water even with a wetsuit and he's just like oh that was a mistake um and then i was um i was on a work assignment a few weeks ago now um up in the desert with a professional surfer called shane dorian and he was talking about his little boy jackson who's a phenomenal surfer he's only i think uh 12 maybe 11 or 12 um and i said oh how did you get him to to love surfing and he, he just said oh look actually for years all he wanted to do was skateboard and he would say dad i'm a skateboarder i'm not a surfer um i just love skateboarding he's like mate that's fine i'm so glad you love skateboarding i'll hang out with the skate uh, with you at the skate park for the next five hours but if i'm going to do that for you can you just come and surf with me for an hour because that's what i love doing and i still want to hang out with you so do you mind coming to the beach for an hour and having a surf with me? And he's like, yeah, no worries, Dad. If you, you know, you're going to take me to the skate park all the time, no, no dramas. And, um, and apparently one day he's just, you know, pushing him into waves and having fun. And he finally got him onto a wave where he could go along instead of just going straight in the white water. And he's just said, oh, you can just hear him cracking up and <laughs> laughing the entire wave and paddled back out and said, Dad, this changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. And so, you know, it's just having that persistence and, and I guess also explaining to your kid, it's like, hey, I love doing this. I would like you to love it because I want to spend more time with you. And it's it's partly selfish, but it's also partly just being able to spend more time and wrap in those those fun times that you know you've had as a kid growing up and wanting your kids to have that same feeling. Um and so, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty cool story of, of Shane's. And um, so, I, I like, I feel like my boys really like the skate park and that may happen with me. So, I'm like, just file that one away <laughs> yep. for, for at some point. It's like, okay, well, yep, no worries. But please come come for a surf with me for just an hour, if you know, yep. for every five that I spend sitting on a park bench because I'm too scared to <laughs> – to go and drop in at the ramp myself because I'm getting older, my ankles and my knees. Are, I want to save them for surfing. Yep, <laughs> that, that's great. I love it. <laughs> now, um, one of the things that uh, we were sort of talking about previously as well was um, 
And this is a bit of a left at the traffic lights. We touched on sort of language, but you were talking about one of your your most popular blog pieces, and that was all about <laughs> language that doesn't necessarily get used very much, but it was a really, really sort of important thing that you had to research. Uh, can you go, okay, do you mind going into that? Because I thought it was really, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a little bit embarrassing, but um, so my I, I, this must have been two years or so ago now and it was the middle you, of the night you don't have to Tim I just you, you totally don't no 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 I'm quite happy to um, <laughs> just, just hanging you out to dry here yeah, yeah totally. I thought it was a great one to share um, then. But, yeah so my son started bawling his eyes out um, woke up didn't know what was wrong so I went in and I was like, oh, maybe he has to like change his nappy or whatever. And um, he's like, it hurts, it hurts. And I pulled his nappy off and he had a big erection. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is confronting. Didn't, didn't and expect that. Like really beside himself. <laughs> no, did not expect that. And so I'm like, God, what do I do? Do I go and get some ice? Like, do I, ice it? Do I... And it looked really red. I'm like, is it infected? I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, I've got a penis. I'm the owner of one of these things. And I didn't know what to do. I'm like, imagine if his poor mum had gotten up and had to deal with this or, or just or even like a single mum or, or whoever. So I'm like lying in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning Googling painful toddler erection. <laughs> yeah. to what is it, the, like the, the phrase like, buy, not buyer beware, but like researcher beware? <laughs> we need the Latin phrase so, for it. Oh man, and so and but it took me a long time to sort through what was right and what was wrong, and what was people giving well-meaning but poor advice, and what was medical advice. And so I ended up writing a like taking what I felt like was the best advice and putting it in a, a blog post called "Painful Toddler Erection." <laughs> and I suppose because that's what people <laughs> liked me Google. It's it's like got amazing seo and it, it gets something like 50 to 100 reads every single day still no two years later <laughs> um something like twenty thousand reads or more and counting so it's uh it's pretty funny that those little moments where you're just freaking out yourself and you share that how much that resonates with people and and hopefully helps people that that don't know what to do and they're like oh god thank god someone else has been through this weird thing yeah yeah totally <laughs> oh thank goodness <laughs> thank god i'm not not a total weirdo so um <laughs> and i'm so glad that other stuff didn't pop up which i was totally expecting yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh no right so um yeah it's uh it's funny and parent parenting's full of those experiences so think any time you have one of those it's 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 great to share and um and talk about and make all the other parents feel a little a little bit happier or um or whatever yeah the, the term <laughs> is, but they're not they're not the only ones in that situation oh uh, yeah yeah uh, what other things have you found um have been really well sort of received on your medium blog um that's probably like in terms of parenting advice that's probably by like by far the the most resonating one other stuff's just like the story about how i got published and um a little bit of writing advice here and there um talking about 
another one was was when Tara was like, what's your five-year plan? And it was don't die. And yeah. so I just talked about the, you know, five-year plans and it's like, well, hey, it's nice to have plans, but plans change. Um, and these are, these are what our goals are and this is why why our perspective has shifted so much because I think that's the one one of the few positive things about a cancer diagnosis is the priorities in life come very quickly into focus yeah and so being able to share that with people and just say look please don't don't let it take a cancer diagnosis or something horrible happening happening to actually take this advice um, and think deeply about, okay, if I was diagnosed with cancer or my partner was diagnosed with cancer or something similar tomorrow, what what would I genuinely do? Would I be in the job that I am now? Would I be the parent I am now? Would I care as much about the things that I as I do now? Um, and quite often, particularly with us, the answer was no for a lot of those things. And so we drastically changed our lives based around that um and and for the better i think um and so in a weird way i'm kind of thankful for for that diagnosis even though i would if i could turn back time and have it never happen then i i would do that um but you've got to take those positives and and really just focus on those positives and make sure that you're doing your best all the time yeah and and what sort of things did you uncover tim um, I think like one of the key ones, which you hear all the time and it feels, it sounds like a platitude, um, but it's so easy to get caught in the trap is that work's actually not that important. <laughs> you know, It's like, it's important in the sense that it sustains a living, um, but you shouldn't be spending 60, 70, 80 hours a week at the office to the detriment of your personal relationships or your kids and that's that's one of the key one I mean I, I was I still work fairly long hours but they're, they're doing things that I when I do look back I'll be like yeah that that was stuff that I really wanted to do that brought me enjoyment um, and gave me the flexibility to be able to spend more time with my wife and my kids so that's the key one. Um, other things, um, I suppose I don't get as stressed out about stuff anymore as well. Like as soon as something seemingly bad happens, the first thing I ask myself is, is this going to matter in five years' time? And most of the time it's not even going to matter in five days. So <laughs> um, It's a great lens. You know, it's a really good lens. It's like it's it's kind of like in, in and I say this to my kids now. It's like is is it a small problem? Is it a medium problem? Or is it a big problem? How hard is it to fix? Can we fix it easily? And and it just de-escalates that stress, that feeling of stress, and that um, that worry, and makes you a lot calmer and nicer to be around. I think. Yeah. Um, and so. They're probably the two key ones that, that spring to mind straight away. Just really think hard about the work you're doing and how important it is to you and what that is enabling you to do um, and not getting upset about small things and really focusing more on the big things. Yeah. 
Uh, great. Yeah, the, and and that was an important point as well about how to actually instill, um, you know, those the, the well that value in particular in in your kids. I like the uh, the small, medium, and large problem question. I, I'm <laughs> totally stealing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, and I think that the other key thing is like, okay, you know, one, is it a small problem? Does it matter much? And two, how easy or hard is it to fix? Because um, your your kid might think it's like my son today thought it was a big problem that his little brother had torn his um, snakes and ladders board in half. Um, and he was he was really upset. And I was like, okay, mate, let's sit down. How hard or easy is it to fix? Can we tape this up? And we could. And so all of a sudden it wasn't a problem anymore. He knew what the, the solution was. He went and got the tape. I helped him tape it up. Um, and so, yeah, it felt like a big problem for him, but it was easily fixed. So it was, it was kind of no drama. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that takes time. And, and I think one of the other ones too is like getting back to doing work that you're proud of. Um, we, every night we sit down at the dinner table and we said, there's three questions we kind of, we ask each other. One was the first one is what was your favorite part of the day? And that's just trying to reflect on what makes you happy. Um, the second one is what did you do today that was either kind or helpful to someone else? And that's, I feel like that's something I really value as being, being of value to others or being helpful or kind. Um, and so they have to stop and think about, and so do I, and so does my wife have to stop and think about something we did that was helpful or kind for the day. And the last one is, what did you do today that you were proud of? And so you start to just figure out every day, like, what does give me a sense of accomplishment? What do I enjoy? And am I being helpful to others? And it's just that little check-in every day that makes a big difference. And those little kind of rituals and routines. And it just means we're talking to each other too. Um, Yeah, but not just talking about, you know, something on TV or... So something in the yeah. in the local news or something that that's great. I'm I'm totally stealing that too. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, the other thing is they're three and they're five, so <laughs> you know. But I, I, I I'm imagine proud you I had a wee in the toilet today. You know, it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessarily the most intellectually stimulating stuff, but it's it's important. It's important to them, and that that will grow up as they get older and um, setting a great habit. And, yeah, that's right, and and it's it's nice for me to be able to say my favorite part of the day was going to work um because probably five to six or seven years ago there's no way that would have been the case yeah um and i think for a lot of people that's that's not the case so when if if you can't say that your favorite part of the day was something that you spend eight hours a day doing as part of that then consistently if that's never your favorite part of the day it's a really good indication that you maybe you're not doing um the right thing and i'm not i'm not pretending that that's an easy thing to change but it's an important thing to change and work hard at changing so um yeah i I think it's a good little ritual um for the for the boys and really tailoring it around things that are important rather than I think we we started that ritual with what was your favorite thing what what was one thing that made you sad um and I can't remember what the other one was but it was it was a bit more fluffy than than what we do now yeah. and we changed that specifically to match our values do you, do you reckon you'll record these in any way 
you know, kind of like we, we do something a little bit similar. Well, no, it's more, it's kind of the the jar of awesome approach um, oh, cool. that, that, that Tim Ferriss um, sort of, um, yeah. uh, I think his girlfriend came up with, and and we've been doing that to actually recognise things that the kids are doing at the mo- in the moment when they do it, and so you know. Like, for example, say tonight, Annie actually set the table without being asked. And that was really good because that's the first time she's done that. So immediately jumping on to say, that was really great, Annie. But, um, you know, she she really lightens up when you sort of recognize what she's done um, in the moment. And then you write down a little piece of paper. We chuck it in the jar with the date on. And then, you know, come rainy daytime, we can pull them all out and, and have a look at them and, and sort of almost relive those those great moments of when they've, you know, been recognized as as doing something really great. And I know that's sort of relying on us for that recognition. So it's not it's not bulletproof. But in, but I like the idea that, um, you know, it's it, they, they get a great sense of oh, someone's actually recognizing when I'm I'm doing stuff here. And uh, I don't know how to take the next step to them, themselves, just sort of recognizing and feeling good in themselves about the things they're doing. Uh, I haven't figured that one out yet, but it, but the jar of awesome is des- definitely working in uh, for, for now. Yeah, I mean, that's a great step in the right direction. And I like the idea of having being able to pull that out and read them on a rainy day or when they're in, maybe they're not feeling so great about themselves. And you're like, oh, hang on. You like pull it out and go, don't be so hard on yourself. Look at all this cool stuff that you did. Um, we have like a little star chart where if Mason sets the table or whatever it might be, then they get a star. And if they get five stars, they get some time on YouTube or whatever they want to do. Um, but I I think I like your one better. I think it's, it's much nicer to have something you can pull out later or ref- reflect on later on. Um, when maybe they're they're not feeling great just as a way to to cheer them up and build their self-worth a bit further as well yeah i think um we 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 definitely tried to chart one for a while but annie gamed it and we had like a ladder system (laughs) and it was a ladder on the fridge our friends um darren esther put us onto it when we were on holiday with them and and it was genius for a while but um i don't think we sort of set the ground rules properly because the idea was that you had a, um, a little magnet for each of you know Annie, Emily, and Will, and um, and they they put a, an image or a a drawing of what they'd like as a prize, only a little toy or something, at the top of the ladder, and it had about fifteen rungs. And the idea was when they did something that was you know out of the ordinary, but it was really nice thing to do, um, or a, a job that they weren't asked to do or something, they'd get uh, lifted up the ladder one step, one rung. And then if they did something that was, you know, uh, counted, you know, or uh, they were behaving badly or something, they'd go down a rung. So they became completely in control of the destiny of that, that um, you know, sort of magnet on the ladder. And, um, and mm-hmm. for probably about three or four weeks, it worked amazingly. We were like, oh, my God, we've cracked it. This is it. Like, we, we're on the home straight here because, you know, all these extra jobs are getting done and, and uh, and you know um, certainly Annie and Emily because at the time they were older than well 
they've always been older than Will, but they they were an age where it really sort of resonated with them. And, um, mm-hmm. and but but after about three weeks, you know, Annie just saw right through it, and she just started gaming it. <laughs> she was just all oh, right. I've just got to nail six of these like hundred tasks over here, and then that'll lift that up there. And and then it got into the negotiation of oh, but you gave me a, a you know a lift on this last week, so why not now? And so it was uh, it, it fell apart, and that was probably more more because I didn't sort of uh, really think through all the consequences early on. But it was definitely good fun and um interesting to see how how she, yeah certainly annie um responding so well uh, well to it so uh, that was a lot of fun it's cool it just shows you how smart kids are oh, you know totally. um, and so doing, so often that often we underestimate it yeah that's a lesson i'm learning i know every day yeah yeah so be aware they'll, they'll wrap you around their little fingers <laughs> they're, they're amazing they're such intuitive little things they hear um, and see everything <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and they've got such a such a sharp sense of fairness i think as well as soon as as soon as there's something that isn't fair or or it feels unjust because someone got a little bit more of something or someone it's it's like they're straight on top of it <laughs> yes and so um yeah, it's just having that radar, and and also I think just being honest. And if you stuff up, saying, "Yeah, you know, right, I I I did do that wrong. I'm sorry. Here you go." Instead of going, "Well, I'm the parent, and this is how it's going to be," um, trying to to just go, "Oh yeah, okay, sorry, mate," and being a little bit fallible as well, and showing them that you make mistakes, and that's okay too. Um, yeah, so important. Is, I think that's good. Yeah, and I mean, because um, you know, Mason and, and um, Kaya, five and three. What uh, one of one of my <laughs> the topics that I, I've struggled with uh, recently. We're, we're breaking through it now. Is the bedtime routine? Like, what's what's your bedtime routine for the the boys look like? Um, yeah, so we will have dinner. Um, then straight after dinner, they'll go and have a bath. And then after bath, I'll sit down and read them. They get to pick out one book each. And so we'll sit on the mat and read each of those. And then they're into bed. They get a kiss goodnight. And then the light goes off and that's it. Legend. There's no, that's so good. There's no getting up. There's, there's no, <laughs> I mean, it took us a long time to get to that. Um, but it's uh, just having that routine is super important. Yeah. But they're amazing. They just go, they go to sleep. And I mean, this might change. I might be cursing myself, but they go to sleep. <laughs> oh, you've done it now. They don't get out of bed <laughs> until uh, until a quarter to seven when the, the they've got a grow clock. When the sun comes up on their clock, they're allowed to get out of bed and they come come in for a little bit of a cuddle with mum and dad, and then we get up and have breakfast together. That is so good. Um, good work. But but yeah, we had a we had a horror run actually with Mason when we moved house when he was right around two years old. And I think that coincides with about the time that kids start to realize that the world is, it's a little bit bigger than, than just the home or what they thought and that they get a little bit, a little bit more scared and um, a change of environment can really trigger um, problems and so Mason, he he was sleeping right through. He was going to bed really easily, and all of a sudden he was just a nightmare to get to bed, and um, so much so that we 
had to go and see the good night nurse who's uh, like a sleep specialist here um who's become a really good friend actually and the biggest thing was because he was yelling out and crying and making us come back in and we'd of course made a made the mistake but the very um parent thing to do went in to comfort him and give him a hug and a kiss and settle him down and go back out again but of course he's yelling out and crying because he wants you to come in and give him a hug (laughs) and so we're rewarding him for for doing something that that we don't want him to do so the the nurses um emma her name was with the the best piece of advice she said was go go up to the door and say mason uh uh-oh not angry not or anything just mason uh uh-oh you're being too noisy if you keep being noisy i have to close the door and i won't be able to open it again until you're quiet and if he's being noisy say "Uh uh-oh mason i have to close the door i can't open it again until you're quiet and i close close the door and then as soon as he stops crying open it up good boy really well done and then walking off again yeah and that was like magic it was like Literally in two nights, all of a sudden he's back sleeping into his routine again, um, and we still use that with 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 um, if there's ever a problem in the middle of the night or something, we just use that with his little brother, and it's it, it's amazing how it works. Um, so yeah, if there's anyone out there having troubles with that sleep routine, either give that a go and see how it goes, try and use that exact wording. And if not, go and find um, a sleep specialist nurse nurse in your area. Sleep is so important to you and your mood and how grumpy you might be during the day and your kids. Yeah. So it's worth spending the money getting getting them into that routine and getting them um, sleeping well and getting you sleeping well because it just it's a game changer if if everyone sleeps disrupted. Oh, that that's gold, Tim. That's great. <laughs> I have a feeling we might be using that one in a, a few months' time. <laughs> yeah, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Now, um, one of the things I wanted to ask as well, I've got a few, a list, I put together a list of a few questions that I thought um, I'd love to run past you. So um, uh, I'll just fire them out, and if you can sure. throw out some answers, you don't have to answer all of them, but um, it'd be good to get your sort of uh, knee-jerk responses. So... Um, what advice would you give yourself pre-kids? Uh, I, I mean, I think the first thing I would say is you're not as busy as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, just... <laughs> you know that book you thought you wanted to write? Tre- write it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tre- tre- treasure your time and don't, don't complain about being busy. Um, and the big number one thing is just prioritizing your time for things that matter. Yeah. And, um, what, what advice would you give yourself, uh, when your kids were toddlers? I mean, that, that's kind of current right now, but what advice would you give people yeah, in I mean, a similar situation? Now, so I, yeah. Um, I guess I, I, I don't have any kind of gold advice there. Like I say, because hindsight is, <laughs> you <laughs> tend to give much better advice. <laughs> yeah. Ask me in um, two years. Yeah, but I would just say um, try and be as fair as possible. Follow through with any any um, threats. <laughs> that you make yeah, think very carefully about setting um, any threats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and just 
you know, this is a really precious time and as, as annoying as they might be sometimes, treasure this time because those hugs and that daddy running towards you when you walk in the door and being excited to see is probably not going to last that long. And it is amazing, isn't it? Like that, you know, the the, the utmost sort of it's attention. It, yeah, it is. It is the best. Yeah, I agree. I'm totally there. Yeah. Um, what has uh, surprised you most about being a dad, Tim? Um, I I think it's it's honestly it's just the demands on your time. Um, there's no way when I was 20 years old. I thought that I wouldn't be surfing every day. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's my whole life. Like, that's the thing. Like, that's what I do. And I can go weeks without surfing now because I've got, like, I've got these little things that are in my care. And just so, yeah, the demands on your time, I just didn't even have a clue. That's that's probably the thing that surprised me most from pre-kids to, to post-kids. Yeah. Oh. And um, what's the favorite activity that you do with your kids? Um, right now it's a skate park. Mm. Um, the Kai just got a skateboard for his third birthday. He just shadows the five-year-old Mason around, um, and they absolutely love it. And I really like watching them and teaching them. And, um, so that's, that's probably the favorite pastime or activity at the moment for sure. Yeah. Ah, cool. And, um, one of the things I, I'm always sort of keen on is sort of when your kids are, say, 15, how would you like them mm-hmm. to destri- describe you to their friends? When they're, when they're 15? Yeah. Or yeah, you, choose, right. you choose the age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, would, what would be... Or, or maybe, yeah, you pick an age. Uh, what would, like, do you ever think about that? Like, how your kids perceive you later on? How they would look back as you as a dad? At you as a dad? Yeah, I, I like I, I think hopefully just supportive and um, and fair, but not like not their friend, mm. their their dad, you know, yeah. um, someone that they can rely on in a tough spot, but they can tell them to pull their head in when they need to, <laughs> um, and and can have a lot of fun with them as well. So supportive, caring, but um, honest is probably. Um, a key one so yeah I don't know I think like to turn that around I was talking to a friend about this the other day and he's like what do you want for your kids and uh and I I just said look like and again it sounds cheesy but I just want them to be happy and my friend goes yeah but you don't want them to be a dickhead and be happy, do you? And I'm like, no, no, not really. And I'm like, that's a pretty good call. So I think like the thing we came up with was that, yeah, you want them to be happy and you want people that they know to say, he's a really good bloke. Don't you love that guy or or girl? They're such a great person. Yeah. And so if, if you can nail those two things, because I think quite often the, the people that are liked and seen the most happy are actually quite not um, often not very happy. And so if you can nail those two things where people are very kind and people love to be around them and think they're a great person, but at the same time they're happy and content in themselves, that's that's what you that's what you want in your kids. That's what I'd love for my kids, but uh, easier said than done. It's <laughs> <laughs> Work in progress. No, yeah, you seem to exactly. be doing a great job, Tim. 
Um, do you actually yeah. have a, fa- a favorite photo of you of your kids? And what is it? If, if you do, have yeah, one? I've got. I do. I've got one that's a screensaver um, of mine. That's at uh, Kai's for I don't know second birthday. Um, and it's just all of us sitting at a table in front of his birthday cake, and it's just such a cool shot. Um, we're all really happy, and it was a great day, so it was a good little memory. Oh, that's great. Awesome. It, it's it's amazing how I found that some of the shots that I don't think or I wasn't thinking of at the time, they're actually my favorites. Mm. You know, just the, yeah. the little candid one that's just caught a, a moment I'm like, oh, that is gold. Yeah. I love that. And I'd never be able to recreate that, you know, even if I tried. Yeah. But, you know, no, no matter how. So um, I, I'm just going through all our old photos at the moment and picking out some of the, the key ones that I'd, I'd like to actually print out and stick up on the wall because that's one of the dangers these days as well, isn't it? The fact that we take so many and yet yeah. look at so few. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know how many shots I've taken in the last 12 months of my kids, thousands. <laughs> and um, there's maybe three printed out in the house. We've, we've got, that's we've, that's we've a good started, hit ratio. <laughs> I know. We've started making, um, you know, those Apple books? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you can, yeah. You can actually make books. We've, we've made a couple of those of the kids um, as kind of time goes on. So I think we'll keep that going too because it, there is something special about being able to take something physical out and flick through it with your kids and say, this is you when you're young and this is what daddy looked like before he had gray hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, or had hair. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we did the, We did the same because obviously uh, my parents are overseas and uh, it was a great gift at Christmas time as well, sort of, and each year you used to have a, another edition, but yeah, we definitely dropped off the bandwagon there, so we're going to have to get back on, I think, for this Christmas. It's, it's, uh, it is, it's so important to have like a, you know, a, a physical, you know, um, collection of uh, memories. Yeah. Unreal. They, um, now, um, is there anything you'd like to say to anyone listening out there, Tim? Or, um, or how, how can people find you? Um, yeah, I think um, people can find me probably easiest on Twitter or Instagram. It's just at Tim underscore Hawken. Um, or my website's timhawken.com, uh, H-A-W-K-E-N. Um, and any advice or anything I want to say, I don't know, maybe I think, um, the old, you know, the, the old Tim Ferriss, what would you put on a billboard? If, um, if you could, I think it would just be, uh, there's more to it than you think. <laughs> nice. Uh, and so I think that applies to kids, to anytime you see someone in a bad mood, to, people thinking that immigration's in a cut and dry issue or, or any issue um there's always more to it so try and do your research and look into it a bit more before you open your mouth <laughs> yeah i like it <laughs> awesome well um it's been fantastic catching up with you tim i really enjoyed it it's been great really fun rich thank you so much and thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode with tim Hawkin. If you'd like to catch up with Tim, I'll put all the links he mentioned in the show notes, which you can find at thedadmindset.com. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me through the same website or Twitter at thedadmindset. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs> <laughs>